Before the show, a reminder that you can find more of our reporting on the NPR One app, along with a custom playlist of NPR stories and all your favorite podcasts. One of those podcasts should definitely be NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's a lot like our show if we only talked about movies, TV, books, and music, which sounds really fun. Check it out on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcast. All right, here's the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast for Sunday, November 6th, two days from Election Day. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Very excited about this countdown. Dude, I'm so I know. Ready. Sorry, that's what my <laughs> delayed reaction was. I was still taking in the two days. Well, it wouldn't be the Sunday before the election if there weren't some kind of, I guess now it's a November surprise. Uh, we're in the booth now. It's late Sunday afternoon. Usually a quiet day for news. Not so today. Um, About 3.30 Eastern time, we got some word that FBI Director James Comey sent a letter to Congress, a lot like the letter that he sent to Congress recently to say that he had found some new emails that could be tied to the FBI investigation of Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. Anyway, today's letter, it says, quote, Based on our review, we have not changed our conclusions that we expressed in July with respect to Secretary Clinton. Those earlier conclusions were that Clinton was careless about those private servers, but she had not done things that were criminal and that she had not intentionally mishandled classified emails. Uh, Also said before, this was in that press conference months ago, that any reasonable prosecutor would not bring a case against her. Yeah. And and that letter to Congress certainly shook up the race. Uh, You've seen the polls tighten to quite an extent uh, because the way that that got spun was that James Comey was reopening the investigation into Hillary Clinton's and all emails. This kind of stuff. Right. So after you had Hillary Clinton's lead expand to her highest point in this campaign, uh, you saw that lead shrink back down when you probably had a lot of moderate Republicans who were on the fence who don't like Hillary Clinton but really didn't want to vote for Donald Trump, suddenly reminded of all the reasons why they think Hillary Clinton's not trustworthy. We'll see where this goes now over the next, obviously, day and a half. I mean, it's two days. I wonder, though, too, if on the reverse, this could actually energize Democrats who are frustrated and feel like, you know, as you were saying, Domenico, this, the, the Hillary Clinton was leading in this race. And then because of all of this getting spun in all different directions, that this race is much tighter. Maybe. I mean, who knows? It could actually energize some of those frustrated Democrats. Yeah. My question out of this was like, OK. The letter that Comey sent was it, I guess, a week or two now, basically saying we found these new emails, but we don't know what's in them. And then this letter today saying there's nothing considerable or big or significant in them. Why not just wait until you can send the second letter and not worry about that first letter that just says we got some new stuff? Yeah, I think Comey was in a box. I think that there have been a lot of leaks coming out of the FBI. Uh, There's clearly some fractiousness within the agency that Comey doesn't have control over. And he was afraid that with the emails that were found uh, on Anthony Weiner's laptop, the estranged husband of the close Clinton aide, Huma Abedin, that that would get out and that he would be accused of some kind of cover-up by not releasing some kind of information to acknowledge that he knows it's there and that they're working to figure out what it is. Now, it rubbed a lot of people in a very strange way for him to come out with just a letter and say he's not sure what's significant in these. And typically, the protocol is to not weigh into a presidential race. Had he had some kind of 
bombshell, real information. Now, there's not, this is not to say that the FBI or some agency shouldn't weigh in if they have real information. Uh, but he didn't come out and say and defend, you know, what is the information? Give any kind of substance to say this is what's concerning for us. Because well, he didn't know when he, he sent the first letter out. He didn't actually know. Now, and I think there's going to be a lot of questions yeah. as to why he did that. So anyways, this is all back in the news again. Um, and this comes when on the last few days here on the campaign trail, Trump has been saying at every stop things like this about Clinton and the emails and the FBI. There's little doubt that FBI Director Comey and the great special agents within the FBI will be able to collect more than enough evidence to garner indictments against Hillary Clinton and her inner circle. Despite her effort to disparage and discredit the FBI. So that was Trump in Iowa today before this latest letter came out from Comey. But what Comey said this afternoon directly contradicts what Trump was saying there. Right, Asma? I mean, look, I think that both candidates kind of spun themselves around in a lot of directions after that first letter came out. You know, he mentioned that Hillary Clinton and and her circle has been trying to disparage and discredit Comey in some ways. And look, we did have a lot of her surrogates going up there saying this is an unreasonable thing to do. How could he get involved so close to the election? And now we saw that Hillary Clinton's spokeswoman came out and and said that, look, this is, you know, um, sort of what we had expected all along. We knew that he would come to this conclusion. So you have them kind of going in and sort of also saying, hey, this is what we thought would have happened all along. I also got to point out both sides, GOP and Dems, have had some harsh words for Comey at different parts of this investigation. And got to point out, um, Comey's appointment does not end and is not affected by whoever wins the election. He'll still be in his role should Trump win or should Clinton win. So there could be a weird scenario where James Comey kind of works for Hillary Clinton, possibly? If she wins. You know, look, FBI directors are typically taken out of politics in a way because they have 10-year appointments. They are The idea is that they would serve whoever, whomever is president so that you make them less political. Um, and he, Comey was appointed by President Obama. He was. Okay, let's talk about where the candidates are campaigning today and tomorrow. This can actually tell us a bit about what their strategy is in these final days. First, the Democrats. Today, Hillary Clinton had a rally with LeBron James in Cleveland. Um, Also, an appearance in Manchester, New Hampshire with James Taylor. And Khizr Khan. Three very different people. Exactly. (laughs) The president is in Florida. Tim Kaine is in Wisconsin. Domenico, what do these stops tell us? Well, clearly, you know, we could talk about polls all you want, but the body language is really important. And where they're going signifies for you where they feel like are the most important battleground states. What's really stood out for me about Trump's travel (laughs) has been how scattershot and how dizzying it really is. He's all over the map. He's all over the place. He needs to pick off a Democratic state or a state that's leaning toward Hillary Clinton. That's what you see with him. And you see with Hillary Clinton, she's really trying to get out the vote, a lot of places with early voting, and get out key core demographic groups. Let's just point out where Trump is going to be. Just today, like you were saying a minute ago, it's all over the place. He's in Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Mike Pence is in Florida, North Carolina, and New Hampshire. Um, 
Okay. A little so, scatter shot. There you go. The uh, can't. That's. Uh, do we need any other states? New York. He's in New York, probably, right? I mean, and the Hillary Clinton campaign is sort of mocking this strategy or, or non-strategy that Donald Trump has. I was traveling, uh, covering Hillary Clinton the past couple of days, and her campaign manager Robbie Mook said that if you look at their strategy and you look at Donald Trump's strategy, you get a clear sort of difference of style and opinion. And he said, you know, for all he cares, Trump could continue to go to Minnesota or New Mexico, these other states that they don't see as competitive because then it kind of allows Hillary Clinton to focus more on the states that she sees as competitive. And they have had a laser-like focus. You know, she's been going to all those states where people had already been early voting Mm -hmm. for the past couple of weeks, Florida, Ohio. And now her campaign is shifting to states where they anticipate most people will vote on Election Day. If not all, Michigan and Pennsylvania don't have early in-person voting, so they need to get out the vote on the day of Election Day. Speaking of strategery, Hillary Clinton brought out one of the biggest stars in the world Friday night. Ozma, you were there. I'm not jealous. Not at uh, all. Beyonce, I was sending you photos. I, you were, and that was sweet. I appreciate it. Sam does not appreciate it. <laughs> I actually, you know, Ozma was looking out for me. So you were there when uh, Jay-Z, uh, Mr. Knowles, really the <laughs> Mr. Knowles was there with Beyonce at a rally in Ohio. How was that? Describe that moment for us. So we were at Cleveland State University in Ohio, and I messaged you, Sam, because I just felt like the entire arena and rally event was so fundamentally different hmm. than a Hillary Clinton event that you typically see. How so? For one, it was younger and blacker. Okay. I mean, <laughs> okay. I just, I mean, unless you see Hillary Clinton at a church here and there, you know, you see her speaking to African American audiences, but I, I haven't seen venues or spaces where the audience is so overwhelmingly young and African-American. How did they respond? So they love the music. I mean, hey, Jay-Z <laughs> came up. He started with, you know, that song about get the, what is it? Brush the dirt off Brush my dirt shoulder. Off shoulder. Yeah, yeah that one, yeah. And, uh, did he then, do Paris? Well, Kanye wasn't no, there. No, I don't think okay. so. But you then know, that had... became like a, a meme of Hillary Clinton. Had put out. Yeah, 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 that's what I was going to say. By text uh, after the uh-huh. debate. I wonder if she'll do that today after the FBI thing. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, yeah, so then there were all these other guests that were there too. Chance the Rapper, Love Big him. Sean. Uh, and then, you know, special guest Beyonce came out and she was wearing a black and white polka dotted pantsuit. Saw that. I know. And their backup dancers were all wearing blue pantsuits as well. Huh. And they, that's you like know, the new thing, right? Is, is that because of it's just because it's just new, right? Because it's trendy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> a clear <laughs> for those folks who are confused. This is a clear fashion statement in sync, so, showing you know their their support to Hillary Clinton. And both Beyonce and Jay Z talked very briefly, but they spoke about how they want their daughter to grow up under a Hillary Clinton presidency and what that means. And Jay Z, you know, said he he doesn't really have anything personally against that other guy. But he thinks that his language is divisive. And what I thought was so interesting is while they both spoke kind of sparingly about mm-hmm. the, the candidacy and the presidency, they throughout their their songs would have these messages in the back. So it was kind of like subliminal messaging. So Jay-Z had this one point where you'd see an American flag image behind him. Uh-huh. And in small print, it said, bad officials are elected by good citizens who do not vote. Bad officials are elected by good citizens who do not vote. Huh. And it was just repeated over and over again. And so there were, there was that kind of constant messaging. And there was one, I, I saw some photos when Beyonce was performing. There was a Hillary Clinton quote up on the screen. Yeah, I think it was actually right after she finished up that song, Who Run the World, Girls. And uh, that 
there was this quote that came up where Hillary Clinton said that she supposes she could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas, but what she decided to do instead was to fulfill her profession. And, and this quote in the 90s really was problematic when Hillary Clinton said it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there are a number of, of, of women who took personal offense to what they had chosen to do with their livelihood. But what was so interesting in this moment and the way it was received on social media was that Beyonce kind of reclaimed it. And, and overwhelmingly, I would say the response was not negative. So my biggest question with the Jay-Z and Beyonce appearance is, one, how much does she get out of this this late in the game? Wouldn't it have been better for her to have them out there for a month or two or three? And do these celebrity endorsements actually really influence youth vote turnout? You know, I, I think that this is pretty standard. Uh, everybody does this toward the end of the campaign to make sure everybody's rallied and gets out to go vote. Remember, Puff Daddy was doing these things in 2004. Remember the voter die shirts he yes, had? Yes, exactly. So, you know, this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, do celebrity endorsements change anything? Probably not. But do they get people out to the polls and get them to vote? Perhaps. I mean, it, it drives up some of that enthusiasm and turnout. It's the same thing with, you know, Republicans trying to juice it however they can with someone like Ted Nugent. And she needs to do that in Cuyahoga County, which is where this rally was held. You know, early vote data does not look extraordinarily promising yet for Hillary Clinton, and they need to make sure African-Americans in that area do show up. Um, also... I got a sneak peek today in one of Domenico's big pet projects for the year. Uh, his final version of it will publish tomorrow morning for folks listening. It is your pretty awesome Thank battleground you. map. Cue the fireworks and applause, right? <laughs> yes, we're so excited that it's it's yeah. done. So um, this latest version of the map, yeah. what does it show us? Well, my headline on it, which is it's publishing on Monday, will be about how the race has snapped back, but Hillary Clinton retains the advantage. She leads with a broad, consistent but narrow advantage, not insurmountable, but still ahead in a lot of places. I think we should be prepared on election night to see a lot of places that are within five points or so and where things aren't called right away at the poll close time. So my question upon seeing your latest uh, map was that with the states that you have either leaning D or strong D for Democratic, Yep. Clinton gets 274 votes in the Electoral College. That's right. And that's without any of the states that you have called toss-up. Correct. So if Clinton is at 274 pre-toss-up states... Well, here's the thing. That includes states that are lean Democratic. Okay. That includes states that are, you know, that are fairly close races, but where Clinton has a consistent advantage. Okay. So you think about a place like Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, places that we've talked about Donald Trump going and trying to make a difference. Uh, she leads in those places. But she, it's close. It's close. She leads in Pennsylvania uh, and in those toss-up states. In a lot of those toss-up states, she leads as well. But they're not quite as consistent. You know, we're not looking at just polls in this. I should remind people. We start with historical voting data. We look at demographics in the state. And we look at uh, on-the-ground reporting. Some of the stuff that we've been pulling in to bring to you on the podcast uh, is the kind of leading-edge stuff that we take into consideration. Polls is just something else that rounds it out. Most of everything I did in this map uh, from two weeks ago moves toward Donald Trump's direction. I make Iowa lean Republican. I also put Ohio as lean Republican. And the polling would probably tell you that it's actually a toss-up. But very slightly, because of demography, as Osma can talk about, you know, Ohio looks like it's 
trending more in Trump's direction since the FBI letter uh, came out. But there's one really important place that I moved, and that's Nevada. I moved Nevada more toward Clinton's column because of what you've seen with early voting data. Uh, And what that means overall is that if Hillary Clinton were to hold all of these places, she would be president. The lean D strong D states. Correct. So all of those places, if there's a crack in that blue wall, all bets are off. Okay. Place like Michigan, Pennsylvania, those are cinder blocks where the water could come rushing through the dam. And I would say traveling with the Clinton camp these last couple of days, I think that they are concerned about any potential even hairline crack. I mean, you have President Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton all going to Michigan. That's a lot of resources in the last couple of days to be sending to a state that President Obama won by double digits. How close is it now, Michigan? Well, polls have been polls publicly have been within three to four points. Uh, Clinton had been up by high single digits for most of the race, which is not, you know, it's not that secure of a lead, even in high single digits, because you still have to get your voters out to vote, which is why it's so key for Barack Obama going to Michigan to try to amp up the black vote to make sure that they come out. And the other wild card in Michigan is a blue collar white vote. Barack Obama Uh, was the Democrat who won election with the lowest share of the white vote total across the country. If Hillary Clinton underperforms, which it looks like she is with blue collar voters, blue collar white voters right now, and underperforms with black voters, which it looks like she's doing right now, that's where you get to suddenly a two or three point race. I want to talk about two states on that map, Nevada and Florida, for a little bit. Uh, one of the big stories I've been seeing this weekend um, that I'm really intrigued by are reports from lots of battleground states about high numbers of early voters who are Latino. Um, there's data out of Nevada saying that they have made up more than 13% of early voters in that state, which is up from last time. Uh, CNN was saying that in Florida, Latino early voters are up 129% compared to 08. In Arizona, Hispanics are 12% of the early vote, up from 6% last cycle. This could be a record-breaking year for the Hispanic vote. And most of what we know, right, Asma indicates that that helps one candidate more than the other. If we do believe the polls, uh, all of the polls for months have consistently shown that Hillary Clinton has a substantial lead when you are talking about Latino voters. Um, And I would say that she may even have a larger lead than what we're seeing in the polls because it's somewhat difficult to accurately poll Latinos. And so I I would venture to say on Election Day that we may be surprised by the margin debate, you know, considering what we've been seeing in the polls. So and one thing I think that's really interesting, and we are seeing this in Florida, is that a lot lot of Latinos are not registered as Republicans or Democrats. They have no party affiliation. So we don't know. Well, theoretically, you can say you don't know. Okay. But if you look at the the makeup of who's voted, uh, you'll see that in early voting, a greater percentage of Hispanics have no party affiliation. They make up sort of a larger chunk of that no party affiliation early voter yeah. than they do of registered gotcha. Democrats. And it, so in Nevada, um, John Ralston, who is considered to be the expert on politics in that state, he said in a blog post um, that at this point, seeing those early voting numbers, uh, that it looks like Clinton has that state locked and that Trump is, quote unquote, 
dead. Yeah, there have been reports that the Trump campaign believes that it could overcome something like a six-point early vote advantage, but not what we're seeing in Nevada with 12 or 13-point advantage. The other thing that helps Democrats in Nevada is that three out of every four votes that were cast for Barack Obama came out of one place, Clark County. Vegas. And so it's a lot easier to organize when you know all of your resources have to go into one geographic location area, uh, as opposed to a state like Florida, where it's so expensive uh, and so broad sweeping and the types of people are so different. I'll say one thing about Latinos that I think is really interesting. I am so excited to get real data to see what happens on election night with Latinos because, you know, I think that what a lot of pollsters and a lot of reporters are not seeing is what's actually going on, like what the real conversation is at Spanish-speaking kitchen tables, because you don't have people monitoring Univision day Mm -hmm. after day. Uh, The kind of conversation that's been going on and the kinds of things that we've heard anecdotally from Latinos and how under siege they feel in this campaign – How will that translate to the ballot box? Because a lot of them in past years have been low propensity voters. They've felt disaffected from the political process. If Donald Trump has pushed them over that edge to go and vote, that is a major, major fundamental thing that will be a political earthquake in this country. And and on that note, there's just a lot of room for Hispanic turnout to grow. You have Asian-Americans and Latinos historically voting at a much lower percentage rate than you have African-Americans and and white voters. So there's just far more room for them to grow and, and actually show up on Election Day. Let's be clear. The race is not done yet. There is still a path for Trump to win this thing. What's that path? So unquestionably, there is some path. Uh, It's a narrow path. But Donald Trump would have to win likely all of the battleground states. The ones that remain are Florida, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and two electoral votes in uh, Maine and Nebraska. You get those. He's still not quite at 270, but he's very close. Then he would have to pick off one of those states leaning Democratic. If you were to pick off Nevada, that would put him right at 270. Now, If he could pick off Wisconsin, which was the closest state of 2004, Michigan, which we've talked about, and even a state like Virginia or Pennsylvania, where polls have gotten somewhat closer. If he can get one of those and win all of the toss ups, now you're looking at a real path for Donald Trump. That's what he needs to do. And that's why his schedule is showing him in all of these places, because he's trying to find one of those Democratic states that maybe he can pick off. Speaking of schedules, um, so Asma, where is Clinton tomorrow? So she's planning on starting the day by going to Pittsburgh. Then she's planning to go to Michigan around the Grand Rapids area. And then she's headed to Philly for this big, uh, big sort of end of the campaign rally with POTUS, FLOTUS, and her husband, Bill Clinton. Okay. And, and some special guests, including Bruce Springsteen. And then she's planning to end the night with this midnight rally in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Now, on Monday, Trump is going to be in Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and Michigan. Uh, We had said that he would end the night in New Hampshire last week, but he added that Michigan event, which starts at 11 p.m. So we won't be going anywhere between now and Tuesday. We'll be here getting ready for election night, having more podcasts for you. Uh, Tomorrow's the final day before the election. want to give a quick shout out to Suzanne in Ohio and Stuart in Hawaii for the care packages they sent us recently. So sweet. Thank you, you guys. This stuff means so much to us. But I also should say a great way to say thanks for the podcast is to give to your local public radio station. That's the stuff that helps us keep this going. Also, as of Wednesday, we'll have been doing this podcast for an entire year. Amazing. Wednesday. Wednesday. Huh. We didn't plan it that way. 
I think we did. (laughs) (laughs) All right. To give to your station, you can go to npr.org slash stations. Type in your zip code, find your local station, and donate any amount. Tell them we sent you. Also, tweet at us and tell us that you did it because we love to see that stuff too. And thanks to those who are already giving to their stations. All right. We're back tomorrow. I am Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.